What's up, guys? It's Neil Amani. Welcome back to Tremors from the Heart. Um, today I'm by myself again, and I wanted to talk about the concept coming from Sankhya and Yoga about how our experience is comprised of a matrix of 16 parts, and kind of break down what those parts are, and then uh, look at Um, how, how we use mantra and yoga to navigate that matrix back to its uh, supporting base, which is the self. So there's in Sankhya, there's a philosophy of the evolution of the matrix coming from the self and then ending up with the fully formed material body and even the external world as being a part of the matrix. So what it, what it says is that basically from, from the self uh, arises the mind. Um, so that's the first part of 16, the mind. And in yoga and Sankhya and others, even tantric schools, they break the mind down into three parts, which is the intellect, the what is called mind or manas, but it is, um, it doesn't have an equivalent word when we're just breaking it down, but they usually just refer to it as mind. And we can talk about what that kind of does. And then the, um, ego. So these three things, intellect, mind, and ego, they comprise what yogis call mind. Um, then from the ahankar or ego, they describe that the five elements manifest, so in in order, which would be space first, um, which gives rise to the quality of sound, and then the um, auditory sense, the ears, and then all audible perceptions. Um, the next thing is air which uh, arises out of the movement of sound, the movement in space causing air to flow, movement begins, and this also creates the sensation of touch. Um, and the, you know, the sensation of touch and the organs of touch, which is skin, the hands, etc., etc. From the air, you, you get the, from the air, you get friction, and that creates heat, so that gives rise to fire, and then sight, the eyes, everything seen, and 
with the combination of those elements, uh, moisture arises, so the element of water, the sensation of taste, and um, all things tasted, as well as the tongue. And then finally, the element of earth, which gives rise to the sensation of smell, and the nose and everything smelt. So what we have here is a matrix now of, I've described 11 things. But the, the rest is the, um, the, the last five are the working senses. So the hands, the feet, the tongue, the excretory organ and the organ of reproduction. So it's the speech, hands, feet, excretory organ and organs of reproduction. Those are the uh, karmendrias, as they're said in, um, in yoga philosophy. And they're also related to the elements. So the karmendria of speech is related to space. Um, the karmendria of the hands comes from air, so touch, air. Um, Agni, or fire element, gives rise to the feet, which creates a lot of movement and action because we have our feet. Um, the water element gives rise to the excretory organs. And the element of earth gives rise to our reproduction, reproductive system. So what we have here now is a, is a matrix of these 16 parts, these 16 features of everyday experience. It's just a way of breaking down everyday experience and understanding what is happening at every given moment. You're taking information in through the Gyanandriyas, or the knowledge acquiring the senses. You are performing activity through the Karmandriyas. And everything that is experienced is a byproduct of these five elements. And then there's the mind that is processing all this information. The mind processes the information. So this is the matrix of experience, right? Everything is experienced in this matrix. I'm talking to you now. I'm using my speech to communicate to you what is in my mind, what I've learned, what I'm, what I've tried to process and understand, which is a function of the mind, the process of, um, and you are hearing from me. So you're using your ears. Right now, that and, and, and you automatically, the sensation of touch is going on, your clothes, this place you're sitting, how comfortable or uncomfortable you are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is just everyday experience. This is just the matrix of everyday experience, these 16 parts. What is outside of this 16? That is the 
witness consciousness in the um, yoga system we call this witness the atman or the jivatman for an individual and for the totality of consciousness we call that paramatman or the supreme consciousness so totality of all consciousness undivided in any way that we are a part of that Paramatman is indicated in the Sastras or the scriptures of the Upanishads, the Puranas, and the Vedanta Sutra. So the Vedanta Sutra is concerned with analyzing what is that, what is that element, what is that witness being who experiences the world through these 16 parts. And the answer to that is pure consciousness. And in the Kashmiri system of Shaivism, they refer to this as Shiva. And the Shiva Sutras is all about, which is a very, it's a very ancient tantric text, is all about understanding the consciousness as being something called Shiva or pure, undifferentiated, unmixed consciousness. When consciousness is situated in itself and not sort of um, hidden by the 16 parts, which are manifestations of its energy, Shakti, or its capacity for self-experience. So we have an understanding that this witness consciousness wants to experience itself and it utilizes its energy as almost a mirror to see itself. And it does so through these 16 parts. And the quality of experience changes depending on the ability for an individual to be situated in the perception of this reality of consciousness experiencing itself self-projectedly on the matrix of these 16 parts. And we, we consider that suffering occurs when that consciousness forgets that it is consciousness and not the transient or ever-changing 16-part matrix. The whole process of yoga is meant to help a person to awaken to the reality of its of a, of the individual's identification with consciousness rather than with the matrix but when you take this a step further you you come to see that the matrix is just the energy of consciousness and in some schools of thought, 
and especially actually also in the Gaudiya or Vaishnava Pancharatric tradition, there is a consideration that the energy and the energetic are non-different in essence. And when you come to see that, then when you come to see that, then the anxiety of the ever-changing world changes into the marveling of the ever-changing world, the appreciation of the ever-changing world. Life becomes a game. Life becomes full of joy because we are witnessing how we play with our own matrix to experience life according to our desire and perception. And that even though on the absolute level it's nothing but the self, it is amazing that this ever-changing experience manifests itself spontaneously just for our pleasure. The world is by us, for us, because of us. We are co-creators. We are part and parcels of the God spectrum. The Vedantic and Tantric and yogic paths, they actually describe a God spectrum rather than just one state that is God, that within God there is an infinite variety which has its source, yet extends its might throughout this entire spectrum. And what the Gaudiyas say is that the Jivatma is the, or the individual is the separated part of God, infinitesimal part of God, endowed with a unique sense of um, individual identity, free will, uh, he's a knower, engages in the processing, a process of acquiring knowledge, and even it is said that it is knowledge itself. That individual soul, its main function is to learn to appreciate from an external point of view the entire reality. And when it sees the entire reality as being inseparable and non-different from the Supreme and develops devotion to that Supreme, then it is full of bliss, happiness, 
joy and meaning. But when it forgets the big picture and becomes overly concerned with its minute perspective, then it forgets the whole and tries to lower it over or tries to control the flow of life and the energy of God. Then in that situation, it becomes imprisoned in its own creation and suffers. Now, something practical is that we have to understand that we are bewildered by the matrix. It's very difficult to see past the 16 parts of the matrix. And in this age, it's even more difficult because the sensory stimulation is so intense through technology and through the continued efforts to understand and absorb the mind in these 16 parts. Essentially, this is what science is doing, is trying to understand these 16 parts as deeply as possible. So you're becoming more and more engrossed. Science is very useful for understanding these things, but it's not useful for understanding how to get out of that, how to see past that, how to see beyond that. Thus far, it hasn't produced any um, indication or evidence for what's beyond that. And the Vedic scriptures and the Tantric scriptures, they tell us that it's not possible to get beyond the 16 through the 16. It's just obvious. You can't... The matrix, you know, you can't get out of the matrix by anything in the matrix. So, the sages, they actually gave us different methods to try to um, overcome those 16 parts to see beyond them. And I want to share a small passage from the Kali Santarana Upanishad of the Krishna Yajur Veda. And it is a conversation between the sage Narada and the creatrix of the world or creator of the world, Brahma. His question was, how could he overcome the effects of Kali Yuga? And Brahma's response is that there is a method in Kali Yuga that is very effective for transcending the evil effects of this age. And Narada asks, oh, what is that? And he replies that it is the mantra or the sacred mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. He says that, I'll quote now, These 16 names destroy the effects, the negative effects of Kali. No better means than this is to be had in all of the Vedas. These 16 names destroy the 16 envelope, envelopments, Kala, in which the individual is enveloped, then, like the sun which shines forth once the clouds are dispersed, Parabrahman, 
alone radiates forth. Parabrahman is a name for the Supreme Consciousness of which the individual is a part of. Then Narada asks, O Lord, what are the regulations to be observed? And Brahma replies, replies there are no regulations. Whoever in an impure or pure state chants these names always attains the same world or proximity to the same form as or absorption into the Parabrahman. Whoever chants this mantra of 16 names 35 million times is absolved of every of all sins, including the sin of murdering a Brahmin and that of murdering a hero. He is absolved from the sin of the theft of gold. He becomes purified from sexual misconduct and having abandoned all dharmas, he is absolved from all sins. He becomes immediately liberated. So, the... The message here is that in this age, we take up a very simple process to get past the 16 kalas or 16 parts of the matrix because we are conditioned to be undisciplined, uh, given towards bad habits. We cannot control our mind very well and we cannot follow the rules and strict regulations of the yoga sastras and other more sophisticated forms of spiritual advancement. That there are no rules for this process. Most of the institutions that are giving out this process try to enforce certain rules and regulations so that it makes it easier to follow this, this process. But it's important to note that the Sastras have given this process as the easiest and most simple way that anyone can do it, regardless of their ability to follow these kinds of disciplines that you find in most yoga schools. And Vedantic ashrams will follow strict diets and strict waking and sleeping habits and uh they have strict rules on who they associate with or all kinds of religious and fundamental behaviors. But this mantra, there's no, there's no rules. And so this is a very, very beautiful process. It's very compassionate. It's a come as you are, just take the name, just chant as much as you can. The number here is given uh, 35 million repetitions, which would take a year for a person chanting it 100,000 times, or 10 years for someone chanting it 10,000 times, or 100 years for chanting it 1,000 times per day. The standard of my particular organization was to ask people to chant it around 1,726 times, which totaled a total of 16 malas. Um, and many people do that for their entire life. It is a good practice to take up at least four malas and increasing it over time as the effects become more and more 
felt, then it becomes easier to want to engage in it more. And this number can be reached by both japa and by kirtan or congregational chanting. So that's a really, that's a really beautiful way to try to red pill yourself out of the matrix. I also want to talk about the need for balance and the sort of what comes after self-realization, which typically people present as being a state of total renunciation of the world. And I, and I want to offer a, a counter argument to that. Um, and I want to offer a perspective that encourages coming back to life, coming back to engaging with these 16 parts in our everyday experience to utilize these energies in the service of that Parabrahman Sri Krishna, participating in the game of life with him after he has been perceived, then there should be no more fear of these parts. This matrix is no longer a prison, but is this the playground? And we're in this life and we're maintaining this life because that is the will of the flow of life that we are currently in. So I am not a I'm not a I'm not in favor of um, renunciation which causes a neglect for a person's life. I am not in favor of the concept of trying to get out of the material world. I think that getting out of the material world is a is a getting out of the perception of the 16 as being the entirety of reality that it's the that it's the ultimate reality and that when we get out of the material world we actually get out of that concept we we get out of lording it over and then we come back to life engaging in the matrix for the service of of, of krishna for the service of life itself and we begin to play with a new perspective on existence on life and death on relationships on what is important here today and now and it and it really comes down to fostering the i talked about this in a previous podcast we're fostering the concept of spiritual an enlightened family life. That is what Goloka is, or the supreme abode of Sri Krishna, is a place of spiritually enlightened family people. They engage in work. They engage in family affairs, all the while interacting intimately with Krishna. So that is that is beyond the level of Shantaras, which brings everything into an equilibrium, we now begin to play with the, play with our reality in a, in a spirit of Krishna consciousness. And if we, if we actually learn to bring that into our life, 
this will create a sense of meaning and purpose behind everything and it actually has the capacity to put everything into perspective in a meaningful way culminating in love i believe it is love that is the most important and most valuable meaning that we can pursue and i don't mean love to be confused with pleasure or self-satisfaction but that love is the desire to do better for others to please others and especially to please the cosmic principle the cosmic consciousness the universal principle which is seen in various ways but i think most appropriately as krishna because if you get to know the krishna conception you find that it's a conception of the divine which is extraordinarily lovable and it has love as its as its primary meaning rather than a fear you know the christian theology promotes mostly a sense of fear of god which is very helpful for getting you to behave or getting people to behave themselves but it's not very good in cultivating love and i think that is the primary push in this world today the primary need of the world today is to find love and meaning and our responsibility the ultimate meaning can be found in the adoption of the responsibility to cultivate love and that is what the movement of shri chaitanya mahaprabhu the great 16th century um saint of west bengal or bengal considered to be an avatar of krishna come down to propagate this message of love and over the last 500 years there has been an explosion of this tradition alongside the yoga tradition's expansion and i look forward to seeing this message in a being pushed forward in a very non-sectarian way um decentralized from any kind of institutional body but as a grassroots movement to promote love through the process of this chanting of the holy names of god which all religious traditions actually have secretly embedded into their practice but has become a, a little bit a bit, bit more forgotten and replaced with the tyrannical rule setting and um controlling attitudes of religion so i think the technology is ripe now today to really have a lasting impact 
to promote this message, the message of love, a message of unity. We all share the same source, the same basis of existence. And in this kind of cons consciousness, we get beyond caste and race and gender, at the same time appreciating those various differences. So this uh, conception of unity and diversity, or diversity in a unity. I hope that people can take this message. I hope that if you're listening to me, that I'm making sense to you. I am not trying to convert anybody to any kind of religion. I hope that you can understand that. I hope that um, if you take up trying on a daily basis to reciting these names, that you can yourself feel the benefit and begin to kind of see past the matrix a little bit, inch by inch, become absorbed more and higher thought frequencies like love and consciousness and truth. And together we can make a great impact on the world by sharing this information and by engaging in the constant repetition and meditation on those divine names. Um, so that's all from me, from me today. Let me know what you think. Leave a comment. Share it. Pass it around. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Jai Nitai.